We're going to look at verse 6 this morning. It's been a while since I've been in the pulpit, a couple weeks. Thankful to, uh, to be here this morning for all that God is doing. Um, I've entitled the message this morning, Godly Hunger and Thirst. Godly Hunger and Thirst. And third, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and we're going to break this down uh, this morning and pray that we give you today what God has given us, uh, and we just pray that the Holy Spirit will do His perfect work. If you'd stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 5, verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's bow our heads. Father, we love you. Lord, as we come to you today, we pray, Lord, today that you would feed our hearts. God, we pray that the scripture will just come alive for us today. Uh, and Lord, that our hearts will be encouraged and also yet challenged. Lord, we pray today that there's someone here who doesn't know you. Father, we pray, Lord, today that they will see the love that you have for them and realize that you are a loving and holy God, Lord, you would love us so much that you would send your son to die for us. And so we just pray today, Lord, that, um, that your word will speak to our hearts. Father, we pray that hearts will be open and ready to accept your word. Lord, we love you today. We pray this in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Just to kind of set the scene for you a little bit, Matthew chapter 5 starts off as what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. The Word of God uh, is it's unique in that there are some things that will remain a mystery to us, but yet some things are also given so clearly uh, and with details. And it's important that we look to the Word of God. There are other things that can inspire us but it is the Word of God that shall lead us. And in Matthew chapter 5, uh, when you see chapter 4, there was a crowd gathered there, and in chapter 5 it says that Jesus went up, and He sat down, and His disciples went unto Him. And so they're sitting around, and Jesus is sharing what we know as Sermon on the Mount. Starts at chapter 5, and I believe carries over through, uh, I think, part of chapter 7, but don't quote me on that. Instead, look at your Bible and see what it says. I might not quite be exactly right, but I think it's close. And so when Jesus sits down, he's, he gives what we know as the, the Beatitudes. I remember someone uh, when I was a, a teenager, and, uh, and they were looking at the Bible, and they said, Huff, what's the Beatitudes? Like, what in the name of Jehoshaphat and his brother Peter are you talking about? He says, it says right here, the beatitudes. I'm like, oh, the beatitudes. These are attitudes that Christians ought to have. Now, I'm not going to say at that time in my life I was living with an attitude a Christian ought to have, but I at least knew it says beatitudes instead of beatitudes. So I felt like I at least had one leg up on the guy. But we see all these blesseds are. Right? Blessed are the people who do this. Blessed are the, uh, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Right? Um, and then we get to this one. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now the word blessed in this case means, uh, some people say it means happy or happier. But it's a matter of the fact is that we will be internally blessed and eternally blessed when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we want to talk about what that is. You see that on the, just on the plain eyes, if we just look at this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. They go on to the next one. But there's something so profound here. I shared this with these uh, Wednesday night Bible study group on Zoom. I, I shared this verse and a couple other verses that went along with it, and I gave them the condensed version, which is the version you will wish you have had by the time we get out of here. Because you don't let a pastor go without preaching for three weeks and then get him in the pulpit and think this is going to be one of them, you know, hokey pokey done here, kind of, you know, just, you know, put your right arm in, put your right arm out, and go back, and then all of a sudden we're going to be done with it. No, we want to break down this verse. But I do promise this, I will only hold you as long as the Holy Spirit allows. When the Holy Spirit is done, we will be done, I promise you that. Whether that's 10 minutes, 10 hours, doesn't matter to me. When the Holy Spirit's done speaking, then I don't want to dare get up here and speak on my own. Because that will lead us all astray. But in, when we look at this verse and we start to look at this, this concept of hunger and thirsting, what does that mean? You got to understand that, right, food and water are essential for life. And so hunger and thirst reflect a desperate need. One study shows in the archive, uh, it's a German name, archive for criminology, whatever. It says it concluded that you can't survive more than 8 to 21 days without food and water. People on their deathbed who are using very little energy may live only a few days or a few weeks without food and water. Water is actually more essential to your body than food. And I don't know about you, but going without food and water doesn't sound very good to me. I've been on a diet a few times. It doesn't last very long. Out of fear, I eat. Well, I'm scared I'm going to get hungry. I don't know about you, but when you get to this size, you don't eat when you're hungry. You eat before, lest you break out in an anxiety attack. I don't want to take a chance of getting hungry. Being hungry is awful. Your stomach gets to growling. I don't want to stomach to growling. I want to make sure I eat before I get hungry, lest I fall into hunger and into desperation to actually eat something good for me that I don't want. You see, I don't wait until I get home from work to grab something because I know Sal's going to fix something healthy. Who wants to have asparagus when you could have a Reese tree or pumpkin or egg or heart? Reese's got all the good ones. I still don't understand why they don't put that amount of peanut butter in the same texture in the regular Reese cups, but they don't. It's different. You healthy people may not know the difference, but us connoisseurs of all things Reese, we know there's a difference. And they put something in there that keeps you coming back. I don't know about you, but I walk past one, I just start to quiver. Oh, oh. Break out in a sweat. 
There might not be no more. We're having supply chain issues, folks. They might not be no more. I'm going to have to drive the Hershey PA myself if the truck can't get here. Now, we laugh about that, but the simple fact is, I don't know if you've ever been hungry. Matter of fact, a lot of times when people talk about being poor, they will always throw in, but we never went hungry. The type of food may have not been what everybody else was eating. We may not have took a, took a Wednesday or a Thursday night off and go get Chinese instead. We didn't have that kind of money. We was going to eat beans and taters, but listen, we didn't go hungry. But there's a lot of the world that does suffer hunger. And they know what it's like to have the aching pains where it feels like your stomach doesn't ache clean through to your backbone and there is absolutely nothing there. And so maybe it's hard for us as Americans to maybe even understand this because it's likely that if you're in here today, it's likely that you've ever been in despair over food or over water. But there are many people who are in despair because not only do they not have food, but they don't even have clean water to drink. And so you've got to imagine when Jesus is saying this, he's talking to a people in a land that understands what it's like to not have an abundance of clean water, to not have an abundance of food. They didn't go to the refrigerator. Everything they made, they had to make then. So there would have been a lot of days where they, wouldn't have, they would have went maybe without meat. Or maybe they had salt cured or smoked some kind of meat to last them for a little while, but it wasn't like we had today. Kids just don't run out and open the, the refrigerator door like we do or like our kids do. There ain't nothing in here. It's not even dinner time anyway. Get outside and play. How many times y'all heard that? Did anybody else's mother ever kick them out in the morning and tell them they can't come back until... What was that all about? And don't you come back till lunchtime. The abuse we suffered, Chris, was terrible. It was awful. But it's likely that you and I maybe don't understand this. Now, I'm sure there are some people who are. I think about some of the, the gentlemen that are there in the rescue mission that we get to see uh, every month. And I'm sure some of them have probably went hungry at air too, but probably not to the level of devastation that is experienced elsewhere in the world. But this is talking about an absolute essential need. The fact is, is I can go without a few meals and I'll be just fine. And so could you probably. But this is talking about a desperation and an absolute need. And I thought about when the children of Israel had crossed the, the Red Sea on dry ground and then they got to the wilderness. And we see an anxiety and a desperation when they cry out to Moses. In Exodus chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, we see this. It says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You see, they were now in a wilderness where they didn't have the things 
Even at one point, they got tired of manna. And they said, at least when we were back in Egypt, we had leeks and, you know, and garlic and potatoes and onions and those kind of things. But here we just have manna. And so then God gave them quail. And he said, I'll give you so much quail that it'll come out of your nostrils because of their complaint. And so when Jesus starts talking to the disciples, he's describing an essential need for righteousness that is as essential as food and water to those who follow him. When he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, he's talking about those who, you know, have this desperate need and desire to know him and to follow after him and his righteousness. When's the last time that, that you had a desperation to hear more about God and his word? When's the last time that you called out to him, God, I want to know more about you? I find there have been times in my life, and I'm not going to say they were so much long ago, but there's been times in my life where I open the scripture because I know it's the right thing to do, but I'm not reading with a desperate hunger to know more about him. I'm reading because it's expected of me. And I will tell you today that when you read God's word with a desperation to know him more, it'll speak to you more than it will by just reading the words on a page. I find it's when I'm desperate to know more about him, when I'm desperately seeking him, he shows himself to me in a much different way than when I'm just reading because I should. It's not just about being right by the laws of God, but it's a hunger for Him. You see, this hunger and thirst for righteousness is just not about wanting to be right according to God's laws. Because sometimes when we seek just to be right according to the law, we feel that somehow we've checked off the box and we don't understand the law at all and God's commands. Jesus would talk about this. He says, you look at the law where it says, thou shalt not kill. And you just see the law. You don't see the spirit and the intent of the law. He said, but I'm here to tell you that those who call another a fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Why? Because there's more than one way to kill a person. He says, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder. Well, the fact is, is I haven't taken a gun or a knife or any other kind of weapon, and I haven't taken somebody's life literally. But listen, I, by my words and by my actions, have killed the spirit of more than one. You see, if we're just seeking to be right by the law so that we look like Christians... Sometimes we, you know, maybe you struggle with something. Maybe it's, it's language or something else, and we pray, God, help me to curb this so that I look like I'm a better Christian. What we're really doing is wanting not people to look at us differently. We, wanna, we want our actions to kind of match the title that we desperately cling to because we know that one day we'll stand before God and our righteousness, righteousness is not enough at all. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. 
So I know that I can never make heaven my home with my righteousness. So I gladly call myself a Christian who says that I follow after Christ. But this hunger and thirst for righteousness is not to look Christian. It's not to look like I'm in some kind of right standing with the law and following all the Ten Commandments. It's about truly seeking to be like Christ. Realizing that it's only the covering of His blood that was shed on the cross that could cover me and allow me to stand in God's presence without being cast out into eternity forever. It's about knowing more of Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, as Satan was tempting Jesus after coming out of the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made loaves of bread. Satan was trying to take his physical need and turn it into an eternal death. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. But I want you to understand today that this is not just a New Testament concept. You see, the fact is that Jesus was answering Satan in the temptation. He was answering him with Scripture, Old Testament Scripture. To be specific, he was citing Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. I'll read Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. It says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. By the way, Lord was all caps. That means he was talking about the proper name of God, Yahweh. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, and which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Again, all caps, proper, Yahweh, the one true living God, the I Am. So when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with his hunger, Jesus was reply was of a spiritual nature. And listen, when our spirit is strong, we can overcome the desires of the flesh. The Bible says that no temptation has come upon you which you will not be given a way of escape. By the way, that scripture is taken out of context a lot. And people say that God will never put no more on you than you can stand. That's not what the scripture says. And if you quote that and you try to live by that, then you're absolutely 100% wrong. It does not say that. It says there'll be no temptation come over you, that he will not give you a way of escape. Do you see what Jesus went to as his way of escape? The word of God. When Satan's trying to tempt us to do something that we know we had ought to do, and the Spirit speaks to us and reminds us, listen, what should we take to? We should take to God's word Well, it will remind us of what the Scripture says. You know what is that Scripture is really saying? There's no temptation that's going to come over you that the Holy Spirit will not warn you of and let you know that you are out of step if you follow through. That's what it means. 
There'll be no temptation overcome to you in which you fall to it and labor on goes, I didn't even know. No, if you truly walk with Christ, any temptation that comes over you, the Holy Spirit will let you know. And if you continue to do it anyway, that's on you. And so there's this physical temptation. But Jesus is reminded of the words of his Father. Not only the words of his Father that he should not live by bread alone, but in remembrance of what he did for the Israelites in the wilderness. And that God is able to feed us. After 40 days, I'm sure he is hungry. But he trusts the Father to know that he can provide when it's time. That in this case, maybe he had to go to day 41 or day 42. I don't know. Now, we know in the scripture, it tells us that it was 40 days. But maybe Jesus, in his mind, when he looked at what the scripture says, you know what? I know that God can feed me. My heavenly Father will feed me when it's appropriate. So maybe day 40 wouldn't, maybe that wasn't the stopping point. Maybe in his mind, he had to go say, you know what? I need to be prepared to go even further if necessary. Now, we know that he didn't. But maybe in his mind he had to go there. Maybe in your mind you got to go there. That I need to follow the word of God and know that in his time he will provide for me what I need, not in my time. I'm sure after going 40 days, Jesus would have had all kinds of excuses, just like we do if he would have let himself have those. But he didn't. Because God's word is more important. You see, he hungered more after the right ways of the Heavenly Father than he did his own physical being. That's what we're talking about when we say we hunger and thirst for righteousness. In John chapter 6, starting at verse 31, it says, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Out of our desperation to fulfill ourselves and our lives in this world, we will be tempted with things that God would not have us to have, the things that God would not have us to do. And it's, there's the, this hungering to know more of God and to know His ways and to know His Word. It is this hunger and thirst for the right things of God that will carry us in those times when those temptations come along and remind us of the ways of God. And when we hunger and thirst more for the ways of God than we do to fulfill our own selves, it is then that we will win over the temptations in life. It is then when we hunger more to be in His presence and to know Him more that our lives will start to reflect Jesus. Are you desperate for God's will and presence in your life? When we get up in the morning and, 
and we walk along the way, is, is, it, is God on our mind? When we get up in the morning, is, are we thankful for another day? Are we thankful that, that God has allowed us to, to have another day and go after that day with joy in our hearts, knowing that God has blessed us with life and it is God that will bless us with the things that we need. I love what the psalmist said in Psalms 42. Verse 1 and 2, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when shall I come and appear before God. As a deer pants. You ever seen a dog pant? And I say a dog because I don't know how many deer you've been hanging out with. Now, I live up in the woods now at my dad's place. You take care of him, and we got deer all over the place. But maybe you don't get to hang out with deer. You ever seen a dog pant? Desperate for water? Could you imagine being a deer walking in the wilderness and being desperate for something to drink and, and has only to hope that he can run up on a stream or a pond or something to where he could quench his thirst? The psalmist says that as a deer pants for flowing streams, in other words, as that deer has this desire for that which he desperately needs, so pants my soul for you. When's the last time we've panted for God? Or have you ever panted for God? Wanting more and longing more to have His presence. There have been some times in my life where I have felt God's presence on me so strong and so sure, and it was just unbelievable how I felt at that moment. Completely filled. Not even worried about time not even worried about who was around. It was just me in His presence. And it seemed like such a long time. It could have been only a few minutes. But all I know was there was such a satisfying moment in time where I was in His presence so that when that time was over, I longed to have more of those. I find that when I walk in His will and His ways, I also feel His presence and I feel a strength that I normally don't have. When I'm up here and when I'm preaching, doing that which God has made me to do. When I'm here and I'm expounding upon the Word of God, there's a strength that I have. And all the aches and pains and the inability to move without pain in every step just seems to escape me in these moments. And listen, I long more for those moments in which I am in His presence and feel His strength around me. I can understand the psalmist that has a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. You see, a soul that is panting for the presence and the knowledge of God for the soul that longs with desperation, just as we long for, for food, for sustenance, uh, and for water to quench our thirst. If we were to long for His presence that way, we would find that, listen, that it would be life-changing for us because when we long for His presence and long for Him, 
then the Holy Spirit reminds us that His words are in His very book. And that I can be in His presence any time that I choose. When we think about a loved one that we've lost, if you think about someone that meant something so dear to you, and you've lost them, then sometimes you'll go through things that you've saved from them. You see, I, I, I miss my mother. I miss hearing her pray. I miss hearing the sound of her voice. I miss her presence. But yet when I grab that old photo album at my dad's house and I start looking back for the pictures for a moment, it's like I could feel her closeness. And I look at some of the things I've saved from her to remind me of her and how special she was to me. I find that when I take those things in my hand, where I look at those things for a moment, I feel her closeness to me. Maybe you've felt that. And this word of God will do the same thing for us. It's his word. It's our reminder of who he is, how he thinks what he calls right and what he calls wrong. There are things in here that will challenge us to live differently, to talk differently, to seek life in a different way. And I wonder sometimes why we don't go to it as often as we should. I think part of the reason because we know there's some things in here that are going to challenge us. There are some things in here that are going to make some things very evident in our life shouldn't be there and that are wrong. And it's going to call us to live differently and act differently. And so when I get into His Word, and when I really start to look at it, if I truly hunger and thirst after it and I see it, I realize that for me to get deeper into knowledge, for me to get deeper into Him, that I have to shed off some things that are ungodly, unnecessary, if I'm truly going to go deeper in this relationship. I remember when Sal and I got married. It was a beautiful day. I even sang to my darling wife at our wedding. Isn't that cool? Oh, go ahead. Let me hear it. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget the song. You say it best when you say nothing at all. Man, how there have been times I wish that song was true. There's been a few times I wanted a reminder of it. Some of y'all just now got the joke. She's at me and all my... You know, you say it best when you say nothing at all. It doesn't work. But I remember when we got married, we were so in love. We were in love. We were in heat. (laughs) 
And you know, we had that, that beautiful wedding day. Brother Russell Wright officiated the wedding. We loved him. It was just a wonderful day. Him and Kathy had been so instrumental in helping us get to where we were. And we were so thankful for that day. And it was just a beautiful day. And, and so now we're off to tackle the world together. And then we started, we bought a house, kids. Man, that sure changed life, didn't it? Boy, it sure changes you. Things that you thought were cute before, oh, that's cute. I mean, you're just, you know, it's, it's amazing how different we are, but yet how much alike we are. We used to celebrate the differences that it just made us more rounded as a couple. And then we get married and we living in the same house and we got kids. And next thing you know, those differences drive us up the wall. <laughs> Something I, we used to think was cute. It's no longer cute anymore. My wife is OCD. And I'm not. Like, I'll leave something laying there. I know where it's at. No big deal. Big deal to her. She used to think, oh, you're such a scattered brain, but, you know, you're one of those people that thinks about a lot of different things at the same time, and, you know, that's so wonderful. I can't do that. I'm glad that you can. She said that until she had to live with me. Start one project, then go on to the next. Look, a squirrel. I'm over here. I'm over there. She's OCD and I'm ADD. That's a bad combination of letters right there, folks. It's bad. We had to learn how to live together. There was some learning. There was some pain involved. But I got to tell you, the love I have for today, it's much different than the love I had for her 25 years ago. On May 18th, I went out on a limb there, Brother Kevin. See that? Yeah. Figured I'd be sink or swim. Love's much different. Now we're more alike. We still have some of those differences. But we've learned so much more about each other that we didn't really know. We thought we knew everything. We spent all... How many late nights y'all spent talking when you was dating? You hang up. No, you hang up. I got to go to work in the morning. I only got two hours before I got to be up. We might as well just stay up and keep talking. Don't remember those? Get two or three hours of sleep and got to go to work the next day and you're dragging butt. Like, what's wrong with you? I talked to Sal till 3 a.m. this morning. They're like, you're stupid. I'm in love, man. I'm in love. I know where you're thinking, where's he going with this? You see, a lot of times we think that the crescendo in today's society, the crescendo is the wedding. Right? There's so much work up until you get up to that day. I saw, uh, you know, occasionally I don't look at social media like I used to. Uh, I look at it occasionally, but I saw where somebody was getting married and it was T minus 30 days, 29. They got the big countdown. Like, what in the world? Like a wedding lasts a whole month now? Is that how this works? People's birthdays last a whole week. And Halloween is like a whole month event now. But like there was this big workup to the wedding. We just couldn't wait. But then after the wedding, we had to live. 
You see what today's society and the evangelical church is treating salvation the same way. There's this big workup to finally get you to commit to Christ, and you think that that's all there is. Like, okay, I'm saved now. My eternal destination has changed. Then after that, you just go get to live life, knowing that you'll go to heaven when you die and just attend church some. The fact is, is I remember the day I got saved. I mean, truly, I was, I was raised in church, but I remember the day I truly surrendered and that weight was lifted off of me. And I thought, this is the greatest day ever. I hadn't yet begun to know God. That was just the beginning. Let's just get started. The day that, that I knelt before him and just gave it all to him. I said, God, you know, I've made a mess of my life. And I just can't live this way anymore, so I'm just going to surrender it to you. I've heard this preached about all my life. And so now I'm going to do it. I'm just going to hand it all to you, God, because I can no longer live this way and when I knelt at that altar and I gave it to him, man, it was just, wow. It was amazing. My world changed. The skies looked bluer. The grass was greener. Everything was wonderful. Little did I know that that was just the beginning. And today, in churches all across our land, we're working up to getting people to that point where, where they will commit. And then we have the baptism, and we love that beautiful day. But church, we're just getting started. The fact is, the people look at that day as they mark that day as, okay, now I don't have to worry about hell anymore. I'm just going to go on with my life the way I want to go. Listen, I question whether they truly surrendered to him or not. Why? Because that's just the beginning. We're just getting started. And those who do not long for the presence of God haven't yet truly experienced Him. But we look today as if getting saved is an experience, and we had that experience. Okay, now that I've had it, I can go on with life. Paul describes something totally different from that. If you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> listen to what Paul describes. It says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of the knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
Paul describes this this longing, this, this surpassing knowledge of Christ that is absolutely worth everything. I give it all away to have a deeper knowledge of Christ. Because I realize that my righteousness is not of my own. I can't go to, and get to God and say, okay, God, I, I checked off all the things on the list. I didn't do any, all those Ten Commandments. I absolutely, listen, I covered each and every one of them. Listen, our righteousness is filthy rags before God. We need the covering of Christ. But we just don't go to Him and say, I want to be covered by you. Okay, thanks, good. Appreciate it. I'll see you on Judgment Day. It's been good knowing you. You see, Jesus is telling His disciples to seek the things of God. They will satisfy you, yet at the same time, leave you hungry for more. Salvation alone should not be the satisfaction that leaves you no longer longing for the things of God. We don't get this satisfaction in coming to Christ and surrendering before Him and then all of a sudden be satisfied. All that does is whet our appetite to know Him more, to to, to know that Almighty God Himself, Yahweh, that I am, that I am the self-existent Almighty God who loved me so much that He sent His His Son to the cross to die for me. Listen, how could I not want to know more of Him? For those that say we follow Christ, there should be a longing in our heart, a deep desire, to know more of Him. You see, my wife and I, we've aged some since those early days. 1996, the year we got married. Boy, I'm back to 1,000 now. Met her in 1992. She's more beautiful now than she was then. And I thought she was a knockout then. Funny thing is, she says that I'm more handsome with age. Yes. I'm still her man. Hair. Who needs it? Not worried about it. We need to seek things of God. I have this hunger and thirst for God. Listen, because it's the only thing that satisfies us and yet leaves us longing for more. But a lot of people get discontent with Christ. Because they learned enough about him to come to that point, okay, I want, I want Christ in my life, I want, and I'm going to surrender to him. And that's the point at which they stop seeking. Okay, I, I got my eternal destination passport stamped. And then they dis- get discontent because in their life they don't have any satisfaction. It's because they're not walking in the right direction to be satisfied. It's only in him that we can we be content. Paul said that I've been a base and I've been abound. I've been rich and poor. I've had plenty and I've gone hungry. And I have found in all things to be content. It's a contentment that only comes through a longing of knowing more about Christ. You see, if we just come here every Sunday and preach a salvation message about, you know, the, the fact that you need Jesus in your life, you need to get saved, that's all we ever do. Then listen, that's all we'll ever be. We'll never go nowhere, we'll never get into deeper things, and we will not know the fullness of the joy that is found in Christ. 
Luke chapter 12, verse 29 through 31 says this, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. And said, Seek His kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. For a lot of my life, I sought a higher position. I had to get a higher position to get this. Got to make more money. Got to do all this. Want more for my family. Got to do this. And listen, I, I was on that crazy train. And I'm not talking about the one Ozzy sang about neither. The crazy train. Feel like I was in that little gerbil wheel. Just spinning away and never getting nowhere. I can tell you when I stopped worrying about those things. I found that God did, has done more for me in my day job, my occupation that I could ever do for myself. I got jobs, I, and I have a job I don't deserve, and I'm really not fit for it. And listen, I pray over equipment. I'll tell you, I, I did it this past week. I had to go to Philly, had a furnace going something crazy. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what this thing's about. And I just prayed. And it's just like the Holy Spirit got to be right to the issue. And I'm like, dang on. All of my guys. Like, dude, I can't believe you found that. Man, that's crazy. Dude, you're awesome. I'm like, I'm not awesome. He said, what do you mean? I said, I prayed over that stupid thing. That furnace was acting stupid. They're like, what? I said, you heard me. You know I do it. Ain't the first time. God knows about HVAC too. It's all physics. He was the one who made this world. He knows these things. When I quit trying to climb the corporate ladder, turns out Jesus owns an elevator. Hey, Amen? I didn't have to climb the corporate ladder anymore. He opened the doors and just took me higher to where I wanted to, where I even thought I'd be. Ding, door open. Here, son. There you go. Didn't he have to climb it? And he'll do that for you as well. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who, in, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. So listen, I want to tell you today that there is a famine. There's a famine as God has described in His Word. It's, it's not a famine of God's Word, but it's a famine of those who actually seek to hear it. Look in the world today. Even those who say they follow Christ, yet their life does not reflect Him in any way. Matter of fact, the things that Christ says no to, they say yes. The things that Christ says yes to, they say no. They call right wrong and wrong right. But yet they say that they are followers of Christ, yet look nothing like Him. That should not be you and I today. You can build bigger churches that way. But not strong Christians. And see in Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. We have folks that are going every which way but loose. 
but yet they're not seeking God's word to truly know him. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 8, it says, As when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating and awakes with his hunger not satisfied. Or when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking and awakes faint with his thirst not quenched. So is the multitude of all nations shall be that fight against Mount Zion. Now, you've got to remember, he's writing specifically to God's children this, but there is application today. Because we still see that same famine happening today. By the way, you talk about a famine that they would no longer hear from the prophets, from the last prophet who spoke in the Old Testament until the New Testament, until Jesus comes to the earth. 400 years, God was silent. Generation after generation, God was silent. And in many hearts and ears today, God is silent. Because as he says in Romans chapter 1, they seek after the lust of their own heart to the point that he just turned them over to their own lust and to a reprobate mind. I want you to understand today it's a hunger and thirst. It's not just about deeper knowledge of God through his word, but it's about also the quality of that knowledge. It's not just knowing about him, but it's truly knowing what the scripture says. Because there are a lot of other things. You know, I was talking to Brother Dave Thomas last week who was here with us in service. Uh, we were talking afterwards, and I was talking about a book I was reading about A.W. Tozer. He says, you know, I like reading books about people that are writing about these things. He said, but then after I read a book, I get all into it, and then I feel guilty about not reading his word. And so then I go back to the Bible. And there has to be a balance there. And also not every author who utters the word Christ is writing about the true Christ. There are a lot of other religions that will refer to Jesus Christ. But they're not talking about God, fully human, fully God. They're not talking about Jesus Christ who takes away the sins of the world. The truth, the way, the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. They're not talking about that Christ. I look at it as the McDonald's versus Ruth Chris principle. Anybody ever been to Ruth Chris? Other than Chris? <laughs> and a couple others? You see, when we, when we hunger and thirst after his righteousness, but knowing God deeper and better, all we understand is sometimes we look at hunger and thirst and we just want to hurry up and get, well, I got this gnawing in myself. I just want to, I'll go to the McDonald's real quick and get myself a quarter pounder or whatever it is that you like, whatever the flavor of the month is, that McRib sandwich. I don't even know what that thing is, but it's good. I didn't know they had meat in the shape of a rib. Who knew? But we, we have that, we have that quick mentality, that fast food. If I'm hungry, I don't have to stop and make a meal. I can just run through McDonald's or, or you know, I, I've, I've got a higher taste than you. I go to Arby's. They have a rib sandwich with real rib meat. I don't go to Walmart. I go to Target. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't be seen buying some shoes at Walmart, but I'll go to Target. We have that quick mentality. It's the way we live. Listen, it's, it's, it's 
not by accident that the people of America are heavier than just about anywhere else. We eat terrible things. We eat stuff that's not good for us. I don't know about you, but you know, if I had to choose between you know, broccoli and Cheetos, I'm taking the Cheetos! And I'll pray over them first, just like Tim Hawkins said. Lord, bless this food. Make it something nourishing, because in its present form, I don't even know what it is. Like, you can't grow Cheetos. What do they make that stuff out of? Is it by accident that Cheetos look a lot like the packing foam that you get when you buy something from Amazon? I think sometimes they just spray it orange and say, here, Cheetos! Has absolutely no sustaining power. But it's, you know, it scratches that itch for a few moments. I thought I was getting, I thought I was about to get hungry. And I wasn't about to let that happen. So I stopped the sheets and got me some Cheetos and a, and a Diet Coke. Does anybody else look at people crazy when you see that? Got Diet Pepsi and a Snickers bar. Well, you got to offset one, you know. Just If I want the Snickers, I got to drink a Diet Soda. But we have this, this fast food mentality. You know, we got this convenience store attitude. I needed some Band-Aids one time, and I saw a 7-Eleven, and I saw a CVS. But going in that CVS with paint, I could pull right up the front door of 7-Eleven. And I think I paid $3,283.43 for two Band-Aids. <laughs> that I could have got at CVS, no-name brand, for under four bucks. But it was convenient. Now churches... You know, we have convenient services whenever it's convenient. As if a hunger and thirst for Christ is about convenience. Because I can guarantee you, if you truly follow after Christ, you will be inconvenienced. Your flesh will be inconvenienced. Loving those that hate you is a big inconvenience. There are a lot of things that God will call us to do that will put us in places we didn't want to be and make us uncomfortable as all get out. But we have the convenient store fast food mentality and it doesn't work in following Christ. I believe little devotional books are good, but they're not to take the place of true study and reading of God's word. You can't fast food this. You can't McDonald's drive through this. By the way, if you haven't been to Ruth Chris, just go once. Make sure you take your wallet and your neighbor's wallet with you. You will need it. But hey, good food's worth paying for. Ask a fat person. We'll tell you the truth. Sal and I last week, or last week or week before, her brother was in town. So we took him to Clyde's. Man, them people know how to cook down there. You know what I'm saying? You're going to pay through the nose for it, but boy, the food's good. Listen, in following Christ, if you want the good stuff, it's going to cost you. It'll cost you time. It may cost you friends. 
And it may cost you other things. But Jesus said that we are to pick up our cross, an instrument of torture, and follow him. He paid it all on the cross. What little bit of that you and I will be inconvenienced in this world. James says our life is but a vapor. It won't last very long, but an eternity with Christ is worth it all. Just real quick, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, just listen and I'll read it to you. It says, about this we have much to say as... And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers and discernment trained by a constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see what happened? They came to Christ, but they didn't want to grow. He says, by this time, you should have been on solid food, but like a baby, you're still drinking formula. And a lot of people are drinking formula because they just simply don't have a desire to eat the real food. It's just easier. And Jesus may cause me to do something I don't want to do. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1-3, through 3, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants, infants long for this pure spiritual milk, that by it may you may grow up into salvation if needed you have tasted. If indeed you have tasted, the Lord is good. It says here, listen, as a newborn, you've got to start drinking the milk first. But you don't stay there. You just don't know enough about Christ to tell the people you're saved and know a little bit about them. Because that's not truly growing in him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as the people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh, while there is jealousy and strife among you, and you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. He says, by your actions, it shows that you haven't even taken the milk and put it to use. You're not ready. Church, I don't want that to be us. We don't want to be a church full of babies. A church full of people that are selfish and always looking at themselves first. There are other churches that are okay with that. But not this one. Otherwise, Kevin and I are not doing our jobs. If we're not challenging you to grow. Now, sometimes you may have to take a piece of that Ruth Chris steak and actually use a knife on it and cut it down a little bit. That's not a reason just to keep drinking milk. So I want to close with this. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 33 with me. Just to set the stage here for a minute, Moses and the children of Israel have been brought out of Egypt. Uh, they have been brought across the Red Sea on dry ground. They're being fed manna. Moses has, has went up on the mount, received the laws of God, and he come back and they've already made the golden calf. And then Moses... 
challenged them over that, ground it up, put it in the water, make them drink it. And Moses has stood in the gap for the children of Israel, asking God not to destroy them. The reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to understand, when we read what Moses put here and what Moses says, I want you to realize that Moses didn't get saved yesterday. Moses has been a leader, and God's been using him in special ways. So we're not talking about Moses, an early Christian. We're talking about Moses, the seasoned one, the seasoned follower of God. And the reason I say that is because some of you heard, well, I've been following God for a long time. Okay, have you? Do you hunger and thirst after Him? Do you hunger and thirst to know more about Him and to know Him? Because when we hunger and thirst to know Him, that means that we will be reading His book. Just like sometimes I like to feel my mom's just closeness, and I will grab her pictures and I'll look through them. Or I'll grab something. I, I carry, I, I, my mother was, was, she was unique, my mother. My mother liked to work on stuff. She had a toolbox. Not with pink tools, though, by the way, just saying. She had a toolbox. In her toolbox, she had a butter knife. That was a straight screwdriver to her. She did have a Phillips, though. And she had some other things in there. So I don't know, there were some clothespins. You know, the one with the springy doos on them? that you can make fling things at people if you know how to do that. And she had a knife in there that my dad had bought her. It was one of the ones that has the, you could change the blades in and out. It was blue. And I carry that knife. Well, I have it in a drawer. I don't carry it with me all the time because I lose stuff. Or I conveniently leave it somewhere where I forgot where it was. I don't want to lose this, but the other day I was going looking upstairs through something. We still got some stuff up there. and I pulled out her blue knife. It was just like I could hear her voice. Huff, what are you doing with that knife? Just felt close because I had something that belonged to her. Sometimes I long for that. When we long to be in God's presence, we have his word right here. It tells us all about his nature. It tells us about the life of his dear son, his love for us. It's a remembrance of how he has done things for others, then he will surely do it for us. It reminds us of his promises. You see, when he says that we hunger and thirst that the righteous will be satisfied, it's because when I hunger and thirst for him, I go to his word. And when I go to his word hungry, I'm always fed. And when I go to his word thirsty, it always whets my appetite. And I can feel his presence just like I did when I grabbed my dear mother's knife. But not only that, you know what else he just said? I'll give you one better. Not only do we have his word, but we have his promised presence when we gather here together. You see, those that truly long and thirst and hunger for the things of God, a locked door wouldn't keep them out of his house. 
find a way in. But in this world today, people that say they love Christ will find every other excuse, every other thing to do other than be in his house. Pastors, every service are sitting there watching, wondering who is going to actually show up. People who truly hunger and thirst, we won't have to wonder. I know that I can go to his word and I know I can gather with other believers. And he promises his presence. But I want to share from the words of Moses. And I've been praying a prayer over the last almost two weeks. In Exodus 33, starting at verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Do you hear this longing? By the way, the word know right there, I heard this actually, I, will, I won't take credit, Dr. Tony Evans said this, and then I went and looked it up for myself. The word know, that was in Hebrew, in the original language it was written in, the word no, the word that's translated no right here, is the same word that was translated no in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when it says that Adam knew his wife and they conceived. Do you understand? There are kids in the room, don't make me spell it out. The word no is talking about a deep, intimate knowledge, just as in intimacy between a husband and a wife. You see, he wasn't just saying, I want to know him. That's like saying, I want to meet him. You ever met somebody famous? They're like, I want to meet him. This is not about meeting God. This is about knowing him in an intimate way that could only be understood and reflected truly by the marriage bed. And I'll leave it at that. He says that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. In other words, God, I want to know what you like. I want to know what you don't like. I want to know how to please you. I want to know what it is that brings a smile to your face. I want to know what it is that, that brightens your countenance, but I also want to know what takes it down. What, what is it that you don't like? Because I truly want to find favor in your sight, not just because I'm here doing what you say, but I truly want to be one with you, God. I want to be intimate with you so that I truly find favor, not just because I'm a person made in your image, but because I truly seek hunger and thirst after you. I want to know you. He's, and listen, I'm, it's not done. It says, consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, listen to this. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. 
Think about what he's saying. If you're not going to go with me, God, then I don't want to go. God, the only way that I will take this next step is to know that you're going with me because this step, the next step is too hard to take on my own to the point I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be on my own. God, I only want to go in the places where I know that you will go with me. God, I do not want to go out on my own because it's too much to bear. I want to know you. I want to know your fullness. To the point, God, that if you're not going to go, then I don't want to go either. Don't, don't make me go this by myself. I don't want to be out of your presence and out of your will. Verse 16 says, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? He said, isn't your presence in my life, isn't your presence in our life what makes us different? And if he's in our lives, we should act different. We should be different, talk different. The thing that makes us distinct from one another is it's not the clothes we wear. The thing that sets us apart is not a self-righteousness that some people have when they go out in the world and they say, I'm sure I'm glad I'm not like that person. Remember the story of the Pharisees and the publicans when they went to go up on a mountain to pray? And Jesus called them out on it and said, look at the Pharisee. The Pharisee the Pharisee's like, I'm sure I'm glad I'm not like this publican. Sure I'm glad you delivered me so I don't act like him. But the publican prayed, beat his chest, like, God, I'm unworthy. And I don't deserve you. And he hung his head in shame. Jesus said, which one do you think actually went down justified? You see, what separates us from other people is not that we say that we're something and we deliver blows of self-righteousness time after time again. What makes us different is God's presence in our lives that gives us a spirit of love, of gentleness, of meekness. One that brings people together instead of separates them. It doesn't mean we accept sin as right. We call people out on but we do it in such a way that is loving. That we point back to the Word of God. Verse 17 says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing I have spoken to you I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Aren't you so glad? You see, if you're walking with him, he knows you by name. You're his people. It doesn't mean he doesn't know everybody else's name. But he's talking about intimate knowledge here. Moses said, Please show me your glory. That's been my prayer. God, show me your glory. I want to see it. I want to see your glory. I, I, don't want, I don't want my glory. My glory is not worth a nickel. And neither is yours. I don't want to, I, I don't want to somehow get credit for something. But God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you do things that I know we can't do on our own. 
And I want to see your glory and give you credit for your glory. I want other people to know. And so I've been praying every day, God, I want to see your glory. And verse 19 says, and he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and you will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. He's reminding Moses, I heard you. And I did what you asked, but don't ever forget, I'm the judge. I'm the one who decides who gets mercy and not. But I heard your prayer and I answered it. He says, but he says, you cannot see my face for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my, away my hand. You shall see my back, but my face will not be seen. Do you hunger and thirst for him? Are you willing to pray, God, show me your glory? I want to see your movement, God. I, there's been often times that I've walked in a certain way and asked God to bless it. Instead, Lord, I want to walk your way. I don't want to go anywhere without you. I don't want to walk in a way that's not according to your will because I want your favor. I know that I can't earn it. And you've already showed me unmerited favor in sending your son to the cross for me, but I want to know you more. I want to know you more intimately and deeper. I don't want the McDonald's version of your word. I, I want the Ruth Chris. I don't want to continue to drink milk. Instead, I want to eat meat. Would you stand?